Back, listeners, to another episode of The Money Bear. This week, Kaylee got the opportunity to sit down with two legends in the industry, Brett Monroe and Cody Bowserman. We also have a special guest slash co-host who is no slouch in the barrel racing industry herself, Ashley Schaefer. Brett and Cody have both passed the $2 million lifetime earning mark, and they give you an inside look at where they started and how they turned their programs into what they are today. Before we get started, are you looking for your 2021 stallion? The Colorado Classic Stallion Auction opens January 1st. This is a great opportunity to get your 2021 breeding fees at a savings to you while helping the Colorado Classic fraternity. As of this week, Colorado Classic has 95 stallion breeding contracts up for auction, including incredible names like A Guy With Proof and Eddie Stinson to French Streaking Jess and Winner's Version. The Colorado Classic Stallion offers something for every program. Visit coloradoclassicstallion.com to register and get ready to bid. All right, everyone, all the way from Oklahoma, Brett, Cody, and Ashley, you're up. This is The Money Barrel. Today we are doing something a little bit different. We have a chance to sit down with Cody Bowserman and Brett Monroe at the Oklahoma City Fraternity and we have a co-host with Ashley Schaefer today because I'm not there, but we wanted to take advantage of the opportunity to talk to these guys. Um, you know, Cody and Brett both have crossed the $2 million mark in earnings and have been doing this longer than a lot of current jockeys have been able to ride horses. So not trying to age you guys, but saying how experienced you are. So why don't we just, uh, Ashley, I'll kind of hand it over to you. And why don't we just kind of get started and talk about how you guys got started training barrel horses? Awesome. Thanks, Kayla. Uh, I'm really excited about this because when Kayla first started this this podcast, she put a little post on Facebook, like, who do you guys want to hear from? And we hear from a lot of people, a lot of the same people over and over, me being one of them. Like, I'm like, I've got enough stuff out there. I want to hear from people we don't hear from um, and people that have a lot of respect and have done a lot of great things in the industry. So, um, you know, Brett and Cody are some people that definitely came to mind for me. Um, so I asked them and begged and pleaded to try to get them on here because they're definitely not people that, um, talk about themselves or they're very humble and it was not easy to get them to do this, but I talked them into it. So here we are. So we're really excited to have them on. Um, thank you for the opportunity, Kayla. So, of course. Um, all right, guys, let's hear it. We want to know. We want to know all the good stuff. How do you? How do you win so much? Okay, <laughs> I'll really get into the questions now. Me and Cody both don't have the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> we all have the time, probably. Yeah. <laughs> With a good horse. With a good horse. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, I just kind of wanted to start out with just, um, we'll start with you, Cody, like when, when, and how did you get started running Um, barrels or with horses in general? I got started with my dad basically running barrel horses and flag horses and stuff like that back in Ohio and pretty much just grew, grew up around the horses and then started with like walk trot and the basics and then I uh, got a little barrel pony when I was young and, and it pretty much just went from there. And then later on, you, you just try to keep stepping up and getting something a little better. And 
eventually we got into uh, the barrel fraternities, and that's when it, you think about making money and trying to do something other than just doing it for fun. How old were you when you went to your first maturity? Um, I'm trying to think. I would say I was probably 16, maybe 15 or 16. I ran my first fraternity, and I think it was in 1987. 1987, and you were in Ohio. In Ohio at that time, yeah. Okay. Where at in Ohio? I uh, grew up in Zanesville, Ohio. Um, I think it's kind of weird, but a lot of people from Ohio run boroughs, and there's been a lot of good riders come out of there, so yeah. it's pretty interesting. But uh, so I think that most of us just grew up grew up around it so much that it just turned into a career, basically. Yeah. You know? I find it interesting, too. There's so many great fraternity trainers from out there, and but when I really think about it, there's not a lot of rodeo and stuff out that way. So, like, for guys, there's – a lot, a lot that you can do to make a living in the industry or it, on horses right. without training barrel fraternity horses, right? Right, That's yeah. There's no chance to go run the rodeo or anything for us, really. So right. it's always just the process of getting another one. Yeah. You start it and run it and then try to find another one. But, yeah. Cool. So when did you move to Oklahoma? I moved to Oklahoma in 2000. Okay. So you lived in Ohio up until then? Yeah, up until then. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So, Brett, what about you? Pretty much the same. My mom and dad both ran barrels. My dad owned a boarding stable. And, and this uh, was in Georgia? Yeah, in Georgia. Okay. I actually had a little riding academy deal where people came and paid to ride horses or what. And uh, mom and dad both ride, rode. I got two older brothers that both ran barrels as kids, younger, which Blake still rides. Yeah. But uh time I was old enough for them to set me on a horse, they set me on a horse and led me around and time I was probably four years old, I was running burrows, you know, be it on a pony or even, you know, small horse, but pretty much did it all my life. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. So you've lived in Georgia your whole life? Yeah. Same place that you are now? No, I, we moved around a couple of times when I was a kid and then I worked for a guy in Tacoa, Georgia for a couple of years riding horses Okay. and then went back to where I'm at now. But. So how old were you when you went to your first maturity? I was probably about 16. I, I was, my first one was in 86. I think I'm a year or two older than Cody, but, you know, we <clears throat> grew up, you know, just running barrels was more just fun as a kid, just what we did for fun, good time, you know, what we did on the weekends and yeah. didn't know then that anything you'd ever pursue to make a living to at. Make a living. But uh, Carl Wise and Jerry Mitchell had a couple of fraternities in Unadilla, Georgia, and, you know, seen where the fraternities were paying out money and my dad helped get me a coat and Sweet. you know thought i'd give it a try and my first year i think i went three or four and maybe placed it one and was just out of the money a few times but i think once you got a little taste of it you something you wanted to do for sure yeah that's awesome um okay so what have you guys seen like how have you seen it change from then until now as far as just all of it, really, like the fraternities, the horses, um, trainers, you know, just kind of touch a little on I think pretty much Brett and I are probably on the same with this. When we started, we just started with pretty much just an ex-race horse or something. There was no breeding. You really didn't pay attention to the breeding that much. Um, we just had to make do with what we had, you know, and I think that's the difference in from back then to now. Like, you see horses that – I mean, that are pretty much just bred to do it, you know, and back then I think we had to kind of make them do it sometimes, you know, and then yeah. they end up doing it. But um, 
I think that's the biggest change is from just getting them off the racetrack, and that's where they all come from for us, you know, or just not very many breeders back then. You yeah. know, there really wasn't a breed of it, you know. Yeah, and I know you and I have had this conversation one other time, uh, Cody, but I think, you know, now they've taken horses that wanted to run barrels and bred them to horses that wanted to run barrels, and now we have these horses that want to run barrels. Do you think sometimes, um, now that there's horses that want to do it like that, that sometimes we do too much training to try to make things happen because we had, you know, you, where you had to at one point make it happen on them instead of just letting it happen on those horses that kind of want to. Yeah. I think actually I've, I've watched some of the breeding and, and like seen the horses like to me, like a dash to fame back when I got a couple of those and realized that they were pretty, the breeding was going to be to follow that breeding. Now you take a dash to fame and they bred it to like a Frenchman's guy or something. And sometimes I think that hinders them, yeah. you know, like I've seen the dash to fames, the ones that were back a few years back, they seem to be the more durable and the better ones. And I'm not saying they're not bred, but they wasn't really bred for to barrel race. They were bred to run on a track first and then we got them to barrel race. Yeah. And uh, so I think those to me were the, I think the better dash to fames, you know, and, and now sometimes we cross with too much barrel horse stuff and then we, get horses that can turn and work but not run, not run. almost yeah. put too much cow into them yeah. like they cow a barrel too much yeah. i can see that for sure yeah which um kind of brings me into another thing i wanted to talk about just like bloodlines and stuff like do you guys have a favorite bloodline that you really kind of prefer that you try to or do you just kind of do, do you just ride outside horses or do you ride some of your own you breed some i raised a couple but i didn't Feel like that was really my thing i got rid of the broodmare i think he's for me it's better maybe just to buy him as a two or three year old or what which you know i always rode outside horses for the most part and then just in the last few years i try to have a few of my own yeah so what what do you tend to like lean towards do you but, want something that's pretty cowy or do you like more of the race bred type well bloodlines would love to have, you know, one of them really high red ones that should make a barrel horse, but for, unfortunately my budget doesn't allow that for me. So, you know, have to go with something a little less popular sometimes or what I can budget allows me to purchase. But, you know, early on, I guess I feel like, you know, I had a couple of Mr. Truck Jets was probably, I probably was the first one to have one that made a good barrel horse. And one of them win second here at the BFA in the Futurity, second in the Derby twice, and won the sweepstakes once. And then I had another one after that that won a lot. And same with, you know, even going back to Hut 6, I probably had the first ever Hut 6 to, to step out in a barrel pen and do really well. And then same with Streaking again, you know, I probably had the first one of them, you know, and I was always looking for a horse confirmation, yeah. you know, and the way it traveled moved and the bloodline was a little secondary for years for me, but now that this industry has changed so if you're not riding something bred to compete it makes it a little harder to get anything done now so i i wanted to ask how has your training evolved since the start you know you said that before you kind of almost had to make them do it sometimes and now you're riding things that are really bred to do the job has your training style changed or do you still try to just find that horse that fits your training style a little bit more 
well, you have to, every horse is its own individual. You know, you can't make them all do it the same way. Sometimes you got to adapt to that horse's natural style. And, you know, it works for some and some it doesn't, but it's, you know, I always treat them all, all as their own individual. Of course, at my age now, mm -hmm. I probably don't ride them quite as hard or pursue it as hard as I did when I was younger. Yeah, I agree with that. I think when we were younger, I think we rode and we were hungry for it so much that we rode and rode and rode and, and probably overrode them some, you know, to get it and accomplish things. But I think now you just more laid back and you, you understand that some of them are capable and some of them are just not capable, especially at the maturity level. It's gotten so competitive and, and it's just, I think you look for those easier type horses at least i want to anymore <laughs> but i think unfortunately they don't come around that often there's good ones there's special special horses they're yeah. so few and far between like ooh, we've talked about that that some too like there's a difference between a really great horse like a spectacular horse and a horse that's that's good that you can place on when you when you yeah. get that real good one you, you go and that thing just wins and wins and it's like you think to yourself it's not shouldn't it's not supposed to be this easy right you know and then you get one that has the talent but doesn't quite have the want to and you struggle and try everything you can and man it's just hard you know and a good horse makes all the difference yeah and we were talking about the bloodlines it's just like i watched brett when probably i was more struggling and and he said hut six and probably one of my first fraternity horses that was out there that got me consistently placing at different fraternities was a horse called Nick Dale. And I literally hunted for that horse because he it was a hut six. I just wanted a hut six. Like I knew Brett was winning on him and I thought, hmm, you know, there might be something to that. And there actually was. There was something to it. You know, I mean I got that horse just because of that. And it's probably one of my first ones that did win money on a consistent basis. Yeah. So do you feel like that's kind of the horse that really kind of put you on the map? Um, I think a little bit helped me really get started. You know, I've placed some at some different events before that, but I think he was mostly the one that went down the road and consistently got me in the paycheck, you know, and then that followed the next year. I ended up riding some with Talmage and got a horse called Likely Fuel in one Fort Smith. But um, I wouldn't say that I would follow that bloodline. She was very difficult. She was not a horse for the faint-hearted. Yeah, know? like she was. She was. She was difficult. You kind of had to make it happen. Yeah, that. yeah. That was one that I was more proud of myself than the horse, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> that was one. If we had now, we might not try. Yeah, we wouldn't. <laughs> we wouldn't ride that one now, Brad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I've always said that with Jolene. You know, we all know Jolene Montgomery. You know, I feel like she's made it on some horses that nobody else would have maybe had to try for. Oh. Yeah, we, me and Cody have probably had a few of those too. That, yeah. that You've made it. We might have possibly won some on that other people may not have. Yeah. Know, yeah. That's why I wanted to do this with you guys too, because I just have so much respect for, uh, for that. Because, you know, I know, I know it's kind of a thing that people think they can't ride behind, you know, guy trainers and stuff. But I think on those easy horses that anybody could have made, anybody could ride them behind you guys. Absolutely. The yeah. ones they couldn't ride are the ones you guys are making it happen on. Yeah. Because you're making it happen and you're winning on something 
that most people couldn't ride no matter who trained the dang thing. You know, it's, and I feel like you guys sometimes get a little bit of a bad name for some of the stuff that you have to do to make it happen on those, but it's right. not because of your style or the way you ride. It's, it's because you're making it happen on one that shouldn't be winning. <laughs> it's just that that's what we got to do to get it to, to get it to win. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I have a ton of respect for that because I, watch those horses and I don't think gosh those guys look hard to ride behind I think that's impressive that they're getting it done on that because I would probably have gone to the fence right there and they're making it happen or I would have car killed that barrel and they're getting it to happen because you guys are just like most of those, we could, we could, you know you came and asked us we could probably tell you hey this one most anybody could probably ride this one you might <laughs> yeah. not know right. yeah yeah for sure yeah. but I just have so much respect for that so that's very cool so Brett what horse do you feel like kind of put you on the map uh, probably, you know, that same bloodline we discussed, Bo Hutt was probably the first one that, that I went on a consistent basis with that, that went down the road and won checks about pretty much everywhere she went, you know, for the most part. And what year was that, or when approximately? She would have been in 92. Okay. I actually, my second year going to Futurities in 87, I had a little mare I placed at Fort Smith and placed a lot of places, but she probably back then only won, you know, 12, 15,000 or something, you know. Right. And I think, you know, Bo Hutt was really the first one to step out there and win a couple of futurities and, and yeah. really did good for me. Yeah. So that was in 92, and you went to your first fraternity in 86. See, I just, I just want to point that out to people because I think so many people um, starting out now just think they should be able to, like, come into this and win. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, That's, hey, doesn't uh, it doesn't happen to anybody. It's a learning curve. You learn a lot along the way, you know, from I probably trained my first horse at probably the age of 13, and I had a great gilding that probably could have been as good as any horse I ever had had I known a little more about what I was doing at the time, you know. But, you know, you you learn from horse to horse and trial and error, you know, sure. what works and what doesn't. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, like, I think once in a while it does happen. You just get that one special horse that maybe was really great right. and they can just kind of jump out there and win a bunch, and then they are in for a rude awakening for the next oh, several years usually. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you know, you learn a lot by the horses you had. You may have some that, that weren't winners that didn't win, but you learned something in yeah. training that horse, you know. And yeah. you know, by what it did wrong and what you had to do to correct it, whether it ever won anything, that kind of. It's what sets you up, keep yeah. going. I mean, you know, I'm not saying just. What helps make you a trainer down the road is, you know, different horses really just experience you know you watch the other trainers and people that are win and you see how they school their horse and what they do with it and what it's doing and you pick up on that and then as you try it with yours and you figure out what works for you sure find that feel of what what kind of works and right what doesn't yeah. you know i won a little bit between 87 and 92 but right you know it wasn't a lot i never had a standout but i had some that placed at fort smith that, you know and went to some charities and won money and did good but you know, never one that just really won on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and then, and you said kind of Nick Dell and some of those others were. Yeah, Nick Dell was, and I think that was 97. So I jumped from probably 87 and placed at a futurity when I was 16 on a horse. But then, like, it was like a long dry spell. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it really was. Like, it, it, it was tough like just she just tough man yeah. you know and brett's your witness some of it i'm sure with me <laughs> probably you know the year following but, but i had just bye bye was probably still today maybe one of the best horses i've ever had you know could have been and yeah. uh, 
you know, you win pretty much everywhere you go with it. And come out here to the BFA for years and, and won big checks for five or six years in a row. Then you come and don't win a check and you go home and Christmas ain't very good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's going to be hard candy this year. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So do you guys, uh, do you have a preference on like mare, gelding, stallion, anything like that? Uh, now I do pretty much the older I get, I want a gelding, but, um, yeah. but now like this week I'm running a little mare that's not very big, but just athletic and quick and, you know, so, you know, I prefer gildings, but I mean, she's the one that's took me to the pay window this year. So, yeah. and I've won Fort Smith twice on their both mares, you know, but yeah. Um, I just don't think there's nothing that spoils you when you have a good gelding. Mm -hmm. In 2004, I had two BF shenanigans and promises to dash, and they pretty much just spoiled me. I mean, they were easy, you know, ride them three times a week, you know, and yeah. they just stayed solid. You haul them, they wasn't kicking the trailer, you know, no hormonal <laughs> activities. <laughs> just they Outside were, of the arena, it was a lot more pleasurable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I want a good gelding now. What about you, Brett? I pretty much always preferred a good gilding, but now as competitive as it's gotten, as hard as it is to win, I just want a winner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't care. Right? Yeah. But I've had, like, here at the BFA, I won the sweepstakes twice, the derby twice, the dirty twice, all that was on gildings. I did win the super stakes on them there. Yeah. Yeah, it's so competitive and hard to win now, I just want one that can win, you know? Yeah. yeah. And really, you, you want to win, but also just like uh, you got to have the expectations for your horse, I think, too, is like knowing that if you say you're in the top five, that might be a win for you with that horse, mm -hmm. you know, or if you just make the finals, it might be a win. And, and I think that's some things people forget that you just you got to keep that perspective in mind about the horse you're riding and the capabilities. I see it all the time. Me and Brett are really realistic and some owners don't like that, but um we don't want to come and waste our time. You know, we've done it and we want them to win just as much as we want to win. Um, and I think we're real realistic about saying this horse can't cut it, you know, and we're not going to, we're not going to show up here and ride five or six. I think we both got one, Yeah. you know, um, in the fatigue, you know, and I think I got one juvenile horse, you know, well, actually I rode another one for somebody, but you, you just want something that's really capable, you know, and, how do you decide? This is where I struggle a little bit. And so I'm going to pick your brain a little bit further on this because I'm a slow train. It takes me a long time. Like I didn't enter the juvenile at all this year because, and the reason I didn't is because I realistically know that my Colts don't go that fast this time of year. Like it's just year after year. I've done this long enough now to know that my Colts start coming on a little bit later in the year. So I'm like, why would I ask my owners to pay five and $600 entry fees in November and December when I can go to some $50 jackpots and see where they're at and start paying them into the fraternities as they start to place in the 1D. Because if they can't place in the 1D at a local jackpot, they can't no, no. win a fraternity. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just can't. They pretty much better win your local show. If it's 200 in the 40 at your local show, they better be in the top two or three. You right. know, or, I mean, I don't, or you're pretty much wasting your time. Yeah. I mean, it's. I, know, I brought three here and they're the and ones I've been like running all year. horse I brought, you know, He's a half second off still and raining, but like he's not gonna. I got him entered at Fort Smith, but he's not gonna be entered to another fraternity until like he'll go to the open shows at home. And when he can win that or be in the, then I'll load him, load him up. If I gotta pay a late yep. fee, I don't care. You know, yep. then I know I'm ready. Yeah, you know? I used to be. I'm I'm like 
a little bit type A about my paperwork. I'm always entered up, you know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, that's enough. It's time to start waiting and paying your late fees because of that exact reason. Like if you can't win the local show, you can't. And I hate to be that way, but I don't want to be out of money either. Right. <laughs> you know? You got a little bit of that realistic quality that we yeah. showed you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm learning it with time. <laughs> because I think we're I all dreamers at the, at the beginning of this. And then <laughs> after about five or six years. You, we start to figure it out. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. You, Sometimes we're slow learners, but I'm starting to figure out that, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. I think uh, being in this, just, just learning with time and everybody, you know, we jump into it head first and just want to be gung ho. And we learn with time to be a little bit more realistic because it's a lot of money and it costs the owners a lot of money to be in this game, you know, and I try to, I'm trying to, you know, be helpful to them too with that because. Yeah, me and Cody talked about this earlier. As much as me and him both like a good gilding with the bloodlines and the breathing way it is now, a mayor will bring more money in the end. You know, right. somebody might want some embryos out of a good mayor. Or, yeah. You know, it's worth more down the road. Somebody's going to want a breeder if it's one that's got out there and won something and got a record and, yeah. you know, been a good horse. And now it makes you, you know, even though you might prefer a gilding, you know, the mayors really bring more money and, you know, yeah. have more value somewhere else later. Yeah, they're definitely going to have more value. You know, probably, I, I think about this too, and, I don't mean to say this in a way to make me make it sound like I think this because I really truly don't. We've already had this conversation, but especially for you guys where people feel like they maybe can't ride behind you at, at the end, maybe it's harder for you guys to sell a gelding at the end of the year. Is it? I mean, that's, that's a question. Well, I think the ones that we usually ride, they sell themselves. Oh, the yeah. ones that we've chosen usually, okay. you know, that you get through the year. It's been successful. I think they sell themselves and the people's went on and did good with them. I think it's like we talked earlier, the ones that maybe have a little cork here, there, mm -hmm. and we can master that or figure that out mm -hmm. faster than a normal person because of all of our experiences. Yeah. You know, I think that's a, a trick. Um, I wouldn't say it's a trick. It's just a, it's a training ability. You yeah. know, that's what it is. And those are the horses that I think that, that we sell them and they have a little deal or something in about three or four runs, it starts coming out. You know, then people don't know how to prepare it or tune it up or, or get that cork, you know, out of it to go win a barrel race, you know? Right. And I think that's stuff that Brett and I and a few other experienced riders can do, yeah. you know? And, and yeah, I agree with that completely. Yeah, and then you gotta make that transition from a trainer to a jockey exactly. when you get to the show too, you yep. know? Absolutely. It's sometimes can be hard to do. You catch yourself, you know, not riding aggressive enough, still kind of in training mode when, mm -hmm. you, when you need to be more aggressive and trying to win. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard. And then, but then still not overriding right. to the point where then you're, oh, yeah. You know, and, it's and, just trying to find that perfect amount all, of. All of you good riders or jockeys, you know, you develop a feel with time and, you know, you can feel when that horse is running too hard that you need to slow him down a little bit or when to touch him and when not to, or, you know, and that's something you can't really teach. I think people, you know, have to develop a feel for it. Some have it more natural than others. And, and some you see start out early, you know, you watch them run a horse in there and be late. And you think, well, damn, they just didn't get him quite soon enough. And you see them as time goes, how much better their ability gets. You know, Jock North, they develop that timing and feel for what's too fast and what's not fast enough. Yeah. Especially if they're willing to accept that and try to learn, you know what I mean, instead of just throwing your sucker in the dirt. I sometimes say you know? it's a, 
uh, action and reaction because sometimes, you know, things happen so fast you don't have time to think about what to do, you know, ahead of time. It just happens, you know. Yeah, like I was still sitting in the alleyway and we made it to the first barrel and I missed it. <laughs> it happens. I've been there. <laughs> well, I always say, too, that I think the better riders and everybody – they're almost ahead of a step ahead of what that horse is going to do, or you start to feel it. And just like Brett said, you anticipate, you, you anticipate it. it. And uh, I think that's what makes the better trainers is who anticipates it the fast, gets it the fastest, mm -hmm. you know, can catch that horse before it does it. Or if it's in the practice pen, getting it ready, you catch it, feel it leaning or doing something. So you correct it out there and then it carries over into the arena, you know, right. for your performance, yeah. you know. You feel when you're doing that barrel, yours starts to creep in there on the lean a little bit, and yeah. you know to kick it that extra time or two, you know. Yeah. Or right. When it's running too hard, you know you got to pull it a little sooner, you know. Yeah. Just and then having it broke enough to take it. Yeah, yeah. To do Absolutely. what you asked it to, yeah. you know, having it tuned to where you I can. I think that's another misconception of us guys, and, and I, 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 I'll say it like, oh, you know, you're you're stronger. It's not. It's strength. not stronger. It's no, not strength. I agree. No. I mean, it's finesse, and it's. You might need to be stronger in the practice pen or in your tuning or whatever, but when we're running those horses, it's there's more finesse than you, you can believe. And, and like people get on my horse, and I think some of them think they're too light. You know, they want them to pull harder. You know, and and I don't know. I just I hate that misconception. You know, like I know. do too, and I agree with that. And I've thought about this a lot. I'm like, because I'll hear people say, oh, "This horse needs a guy," because it just needs somebody to right. pull on it. I'm like, those guys are not getting on there and like pulling those horses around the barrels. No. They have them tuned. And okay. one thing, those horses have to be broke in order to allow you to help them. That's right. If those horses were unbroke, like the, these, they this, would get mad. Yeah, <laughs> they would like throw their head up and run yeah, off, or pull away, or you know, shake their head when you pull on them or try to help them. Those good ones that win are a little more forgiving sometimes. Too. Right. If you get one a little early, you give it back to them, yep. it'll go that extra step or it helps you out a little bit, you know? Yeah. That little bit of forgiveness goes a long ways, yeah. but you have that some sometimes with a better horse. Yeah. I, I do. I think Brett's right. That's what makes the a great horse. Yeah, exceptional horse. Like, you can have good horses that place you at fatigues, but them ones that take you to the window, pay window, the winner circle every time. I think are the ones that are forgiving. Like we make a mistake, they still win. Yeah, you know, or you know, if you're work. a little late, they're going to that barrel on their own. Or you know, if you're a little early, they're forgiving enough. You can push that rein in their neck, and yeah. they keep moving forward. Yes, yeah. yeah. that's hard to find. That's real hard to find. But that's what we're all hunting. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it's fun when you get it. You yeah. know. Well, I know you know different times when I'm struggling with one, especially one that doesn't fit my style. Um, you know, I've gone to different people throughout throughout the years and. Um, I have one colt this year that I've, he's a really nice colt, but I've struggled with him a little bit because he doesn't fit my style very well. And I've got some help with him a couple different times. That's helped me a lot, but you have to sometimes be willing to go outside, think outside the box and not just stick with what you know, but go to people that, right. that do know more and that can help you with that, that different style of horse. So I think, you know, just trying to get him more forgiving, you know, because like that horse, he just wasn't, he wasn't forgiving in his run. You know, and whew, some of them, some of them can be, and some of them can't. But when it comes down to it, if they're really broke, and you know, yeah, you, look, you tune it just right out there, it can it can sure help get those extra steps that you I need. I watched Craig from the time he kind of got started going up securities and training colts, and you know, he's developed his own style, and hey, it works for him. And I think you get one of Craig's horses when he's done with it, it's a nice horse and trained and broke and does things right. But I've watched Craig go through a lot of colts. 
and one doesn't fit his style or want to ride his way, he'll send it home. And I've seen a couple that he sent home that other people got that went on in one and done well with, you know. Yeah. So he just knows it's not going to ride the way yeah. he wants it to. It doesn't fit the way he wants one to go. Which I have a lot of respect for that. I'm like, you know, he knows what he wants. He knows his feel that he's looking for. And yeah, I think most yeah. of the top riders are. You know, you can. That's what you. Why you make a cut? I think with Colt sometimes this one doesn't fit my program, or I can't get it to do this. For instance, I I rode a a bully bullion for Bob Hamilton, and I couldn't get it to turn the first barrel. I run it here in the juvenile, I think, and. I, I said, maybe you need to let Brett try it or something. I can't get it to turn the first barrel, you know? Yeah, and Brett gets it, and, I mean, he didn't have no trouble getting to turn the first barrel, you know? I'm like, what did I do wrong, you know? Like, I suck, you know? But it's just just how it is sometimes. Everybody's got a different style or a different little deal, you know? And sometimes there's just one little thing, little, like, like you put your said, hand forward instead of pulling. or A you little did. bit of finesse he talked about, yeah. you know, just that little something different sometimes. Yeah, yeah. for sure so funny how that works you know there's been different horses throughout the years that i've for sure been like someone else could definitely win more on this horse than i did and there's also been horses that i've won a lot on that i thought i don't think a lot of people could have won a lot on this horse it just fit me oh, it fit with, oh, yeah. kr last fling is the one that really comes to mind for me because she just fit me like a glove the mare yeah. was just she just worked for me and she was she had she was really quirky and i had to do things a certain way and i had to change a lot of things about my riding and my training in order to win on her and i was willing to do it but i've had other horses that i'm like this thing is so talented and somebody else could have got on it and won a lot more yeah you know i've had some that were i knew were hard to ride that i won quite a bit on but i, I knew someone else would struggle with yeah you know and then of course RLJ high intensity, although I won with him, and then you look, Alexa West gets on him, wins the BBR World Finals, the All American Youth, and, yeah. you know, a lot on him, and awesome. was pretty much a novice kid when she got him, you know. Yeah, I love that horse. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so that actually brings me, um, kind of what we were talking about um, earlier, brings me to this. When you, when do you decide um, that you're going to keep a horse or pass on them, um, and how many do you like to start with? Let's go with that first, and then That's how do you decide? That's changed a bunch from when we started. Yeah. <laughs> That's changed a bunch the older we've gotten. <laughs> I used to rely on just training horses and what I could win for a living. Now I, I work the ground at a lot of shows back east and do a lot of tractor work, and then I do some farrier work too. So now my training, you know, I don't really care to have more than four or five coats. To start with. Yeah, that's yeah. really all. You know, I might coal one and take one in its place, but, yeah. you know, the days of me having, you know, 10 or 12 or something is – beyond me now yeah i'd say it's about the same thing i mean i've definitely slowed down i used to have a bunch and you know now i i just i don't have the energy or the time to just really you get burned out you know i think and and i think over the years you know you still want a great horse you know that's why i'm still here and doing it i mean when you get that good horse it makes it all worthwhile but i'd say about seven or eight for me and you know and i'll have a few of my own too now i try to have an interest in them or something you know i've learned it because when you sell them you know that's that's, that's when you can really make the most yes. money you know and that's what's helped me and is is selling horses more than i've won them quite a bit too both but the selling has really stepped things up for me to have other avenues to make yeah. money you know and yeah it's it's kind of where you can like maybe pay some stuff off oh, or, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like I bought some rental properties and, you know, and that's another income for me. And that's, 
that's where like ah, if I don't get one this year, it's no big deal. I'm gonna stay home and I'll just work on the next. next. It's not like it was 20 years ago. I mean, I I was sick. If I didn't have one, you know. Like I wanted to be out there and just want to go, want to go, you know. And now the only time I want to come here is when I got one that I think I can get in the top 10 with or so, you know. I, yeah. I don't want just a place where, you know, that's no fun, you know. I mean, I'll take one. Don't get me wrong, but I think at to this really, stage, you know, to really make any money, you got to have a horse to get in the top five or 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially at the smaller faturities, if you just yeah. draw a check mid-packer down you're barely paying their way you know yeah which we talked okay we talked a little bit about cody has a really nice streak of fleeing this year that you ran her mother too right yeah and she was really nice yeah and that whole family like um la fame that i won fort smith on for danny ray was a full sibling to lady ladash and i bought lady ladash for sharon out of the heritage sale another x racehorse basically she'd run like an 87 or something speed rating but I already knew that family, you know, and that's why I wanted her. Yeah. And, uh, but then the streak of fling ain't got good that I'm running this week is out of Lady Ladash, and it's yeah. just, that's her first baby. So definitely the, the bloodlines, it's funny, they they seem to fit you, and then once you, it kind of follows down, too, it's just, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's so yeah. true. And you I, have a I nice one. I do think only having four or five coats or seven or eight versus going through 15 or 20, though, it's in numbers, you know, yeah. to get a good one. Yeah. You know, you yeah. get through good quality horses. The more of them you got, the better your chances are, you yeah. know, having a winner. I think that, but I also, I've found. Quality still. Counts. Yeah. And, uh, yes. and quality Sometimes if you numbers, have two. Like yeah. Quality still counts, but, yeah. I, you know. It's easier to find. You can find that good one if you have more number, right. obviously. But yeah. I, I mean, you still need to have quality. But more numbers, if you got good quality coats and you have more of them, you got a better chance of having a winner for sure. But it also takes away sometimes. Like I think there's some that maybe would have been put as much time right. on the more you have. Yeah. Right, you got to ride more of them. But yeah, I think I don't know. But you have a nice, really nice colt this year too. What is is it, Mary? Yeah, actually, my owner purchased mine when we were at Kinder. Actually, he had a pretty nice one. I won the Southern Rebel Futurity on, placed in the slot race at Kinder that yeah. had some lameness issues and, and ended up having to get off of him and he ended up selling it. But okay. He purchased the Firewater Fane filly that I'm riding. And actually, going back to that bloodline, her mama is a streaking again, which is falls back to that Hut 6 yeah. bloodline that I had a lot of success yeah. with, you know. So, yeah. And Chad Hart owns her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, she's been really fun to watch. You won the. You won the long round at Fort Smith on her, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Won, the, won the long round at Fort Smith. Yeah, diamonds and dirt, right? I won the horse hair analysis security at Waco, you know, back in March. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, she's been fun to watch. That's cool. Okay, um, so. I guess some thought for retiring about the end, you know. You what? After I won that big security, it's time to quit. <laughs> it's time to quit. I'm going to do it like them, like them superstar quarterbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to know, like, when do you guys, when do you start them on the pattern? And when you get them, how far along do you want them to be? Do you want to kind of put the buttons on them, or do you want them to be pretty broke when you get them? Like, 30 rides, 120 rides, how, how far along do you want them? I always just want them just green broke. Green broke. Well, I, I usually put a pretty good handle on one and get them broke. Get them the way you want them yeah, that way. It's not. Start it on the pattern, but. It just depends on the horse. I mean, I, I ain't against getting one already started. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think it's we've done it all different ways. I think we've started them. I've started mine from breaking them to everything, and then I've 
I don't like breaking them no more. I'm like kind of like bred up as long as they ride and lope around a little bit, then I can put my own buttons on the way I want. And That's what you kind of prefer. Yeah, I prefer, get to choose. you know, like, yeah. is to be able to do that. And But just like that, I've had other horses. I've seen back in the past how I got some nice horses with somebody who was struggling with it. And then that's the reason I got it because right. it was a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And then I got it and stepped it up and then it started placing and maybe winning, you know, and right. it was somebody else's problem child, right. you know, and that's what kind of you, it sucks in a way as the older you get, I still get those people that have those horses and I don't do it no more. I'm like, I don't want it. I don't you know what I mean? Like, I don't want that no more. You know, like that's work and that's a lot of effort, you know, and, and sometimes you can fix it and sometimes you yeah, probably can't. Sometimes you, know? you can fix it and sometimes you can't. And you, it's just, I'm you have expectations. Some people have expectations that are not obtainable for yeah. their horse, yeah. you know. I'm not against one having a good handle on it being broke to ride good, but sometimes I prefer not to be started on the pattern. Because if you get one that's doing a little something wrong, sometimes you can train one from scratch easier than you can fix for something sure. somebody so, else to put in one. Yeah, for, yeah, sure. for sure. I agree. So yeah, I think we've. I've got. I'd say you get to the. We both probably got to the window, the winter circle, all different ways. You know, starting them. Yeah. You know, and then somebody else has started them, and we've got on them or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. um, but I'm like that. I prefer to to probably put my own buttons on them. You know. Yeah. Okay. So what? Just like, because I know you guys sit up there and watch a lot, especially right, especially now we don't yeah. have as many, and you sit up there, so you watch it. Yeah, I know you taking a lot. I know I've asked Troy one time. I was struggling a little bit with my second barrel on several of my horses, and I knew it was me, obviously. So I asked Troy to watch. I said, "Would you watch some videos for me?" He goes, "I don't need to watch videos. I watch the charity." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, what am I doing?" He said, "You're beating your horse out of the turn." He said, "You're you're looking to your next barrel before you're out of this barrel, and you're causing them to like step out of that." You might not be living in the moment. That's yeah, he said, ride right jump for jump. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. I think that's what uh, I've heard the expression a time or two. Like, I think Brett had a good one. I can't remember when it was, but uh, somebody walked by. He's just got uh, ice in his veins or something. They made some comment, you know, and I, I thought, no, he just wants to win maybe worse than you do. You know, like, I don't, I, I just think that there's some kind of killer instinct to some of us that have it. And that's why we go back to the winter circle. Yeah. You know, it's not a one-time thing for us. It's been over a career, you know, yeah. and, and I think that's something else you got to have, you know. Yeah. It starts to fade. Seems to be getting a little harder and harder. Get <laughs> Whatever. You guys are just always of doing it. there again, it goes back to what we say. You get the right horse and it, it seems easier. It's, yeah, for sure. Sometimes, you know, we've been fortunate to have some of the horses we've had. Yeah. A lot of people get a once-in-a-lifetime yeah. Yeah. But the reason is because people people know that you have that what you're talking about like that um, just will to win and ability to do it and people will send you those horses. You know, they send you those horses because they know you can win on them. You know, there's a lot of horses out there. You can't tell me that every horse that's going down that alleyway, the ones that aren't winning, aren't winning because they're not good enough. You know, obviously we all know that it's, it's because, you know, there's a lot of people that could win on, you know, you guys could win on a lot of horses that run down that alleyway, but you have that ability and people know it. So they'll send them to you, which is, I mean, for obvious reasons, because, you know, and there's even a lot of people that are great trainers. I mean, I do a lot of like different times I'll do like lessons and clinics and stuff like that. There's people that are handy. I'll get on their horses. I'm like, man, this thing is so broke. They have the ability to get one broke and get one trained, but they don't have the ability to win on it. 
always. Know, and, you know. and I've seen the opposite of that. I've seen some people yes. have horses that they went a lot on and they ask you to step on it and ride it and you get on that thing and it's not broke. Yeah. Doesn't have no kind of hat on it, doesn't ride around, but yet they went on it and I wonder how do they how do they get anything done to this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you definitely see both ends yeah, of the spectrum I've for seen sure. It both ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. I agree with that. But what my question is, though, what what do you think, like, do, when you sit up there and watch, what's the biggest mistake you would say you see people make? Uh, I think the biggest mistake is they probably not have that horse prepared. Yeah. You know, and like we said, when we show up, you know, uh, it's, it's game on. You know, you're, you want to be ready, you yeah. know, and I see so many people that maybe their horse is a little bit fresh or just it's not prepared to go in there and really focus in on what it's doing, mm -hmm. you know, and then... I think that's that's the biggest thing I see. Yeah, like just not sharp, yeah. not like yeah. in tune to what yeah. we're doing. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, I'd say there's a lot to that. You know, we used to at the NBA K World Show, they used to have an international race where Mike Green or they borrow horses, people bring them by the pasture or something, and we had a group of horses that maybe they were six or eight of us, and and we alternated. Somebody different would ride the same horse throughout the week. And there's a couple of them horses that we didn't get to school them on the barrels or anything, but just in the back, just riding them around for get ready to go through the gate, just making that horse be responsive and pay attention, you know, and, and be lighter and, you know, in the face and yeah. be responsive when I wanted to do Put something. Yeah. Like yeah. Just in that yeah. few minutes, you know, I ran some competitive times on horses that possibly had never run quite that good, you know, and, and, you know, it just showed. And I think that was the difference, you know, and then, after a few years, I didn't feel like it was fair for me to ride in that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but but I did take a couple of horses that run a half second off what was winning at the barrel race, you know, with horses that they, you know, just brought there because they thought, you know, they were fairly easy to ride, that everybody could ride them. Yeah. You know, and I might run a 14, 5, or a 6 on them, and some of them others run 15, 8s, and 9s, and yeah. 16s on the same horse. But then I think a lot of it is just, you know, I spent that little bit of time before I went in that gate, yeah, yeah. getting that horse responsive. Just you know? before you went in, not yeah. not months in advance training, no. but just having no. it sharp and prepared before and, you go. And I think that's another thing that back then, that I think you get handed something like I would, like I said, a problem horse, and you had a week, and it was entered in a maturity, and I just did trial and error for that week, whatever the best I could do to when I ran it down that alleyway, you know, and, yeah. and I probably would override a lot of them, be out there riding and riding and riding, you know, thinking I could do this or fix that. And some horses I did and some I didn't, you know. Um, but So with that, can I ask, like, do you, a lot of, a lot of those you probably didn't even have to really work on the pattern necessarily, just like getting them more responsive, responsive riding yeah. around. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's got a that's lot to do with it. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. It's the reaction of the give and take. And when you bump them, they, stick it in the ground and, yeah. and they're not pulling on you. They're not rooting on you. You know, there's, there's people that like a horse to be a little heavier, you know, and that's their comfort zone, you know, and I think when they get too heavy, they get on their front end and then that's where ground trouble comes into play. You know, that horse is not gathered up and has any structure, then they, they have a tendency more chance to, to fall. I think. Yeah, I think I think that's something really big. Like when we do clinics and stuff, I've really tried to spend a lot of time on horsemanship with people, and I think it probably bores people. Like a lot of people get really annoyed with it. But 
it's not about going around the barrels a million times or no. drilling or all that stuff. It is about your horse being responsive to what you're asking it to do and being broke and just that horsemanship side of it more than anything. So I agree with that. Yeah. But um, we also wanted to ask a little bit about um, Cody, you've trained horses on the track. Do you still train some race horses? I got a, a, a few thoroughbreds right now and I've run a few quarter horses. Um, uh, just more of a hobby type thing, you know, I mean, yeah. um, I enjoy it, you know, it's exciting. It's something different, you know, um, mm -hmm. just pretty much just a hobby though. Yeah. So does, do you feel like there's anything that transfers from that to the barrels? Like, you know, as far as conditioning, leg care, that kind of stuff? Or? Um, not a lot. <laughs> no. I think it's totally two different spectrums of, of the equine sport, you know, it's totally different, you know, so the only thing I would say is I think some of the horses we get, that are young, just like for instance, mine, I got an Eddie running a juvenile and I actually wish he'd have been raced. Yeah. You know, I think that he would be more aggressive. He wouldn't like when he runs now, he's still running actually scared. You know, yes. I call it, he's like, running through there and when he puts out effort, the effort he needs to be competitive right now, it's it like scares, scares him. Him, you know, mm -hmm. and like, I think if he would have been raced down a track a few times, three or he four was times, confident in yeah, I, stride. I don't think he would have that that feeling, you yeah. know, and I think it's just going to take time, you know. Yeah. Like, Do you think that goes back a little bit to what we talked about earlier with like breeding them so much to run barrels? Like they get almost cowy to the point where they are, they do run a little scared because maybe, they're so concerned about the turn. Maybe a little, and maybe it's just being green. Like, you know, you yeah. talk about how you feel like it takes you longer to get one there. Some of them horses just take longer, you know, yeah. I think that being a little bit green and a little bit scared. And, and like for me coming from Georgia, we don't have an arena as bright as the lights are here and the big walls. Mm -hmm. We don't have anything to run at that's like that. Okay. We don't have any big walls at any of our pins back home. Yeah. So, you know, for a cold that's never been a lot, you know, it's pretty bright when you come down that hill and it's intimidating. It's intimidating. Some, you know, some you yeah. see their ears go up and they back off. Yeah. And then them coats, sometimes when you start, they may not be quite clocking yet. After you make, you know, what, this is only probably a second or third competitive run. Yeah, yeah. You know, time you run 10, 12, 20 times to run yeah. up and hit him all at once. Yeah. And maybe a whole different horse, yeah, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about it. Like, even, like, obviously, Cassie Mallory's having an outstanding week here, which she does pretty often. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. like, you know, I saw a couple of hers in the juvenile at the BFA kind of be that way, just oh, timid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then they come here and they're amazing, you know, just yeah. get a few runs and just they kind of figured out to be confident in that run a little bit. So, yeah. and then um, real quick, I know we're getting to the end of our time here, but um, like tie downs, bonnets, that kind of thing. When do you decide, I mean, do you just kind of like start with that or do you run most of them in tie downs and bonnets or how do you decide you're going to use that? Because that's something... Like I, I kind of dabble in a little bit and go back and forth and I can't ever decide like which I would, which I prefer. I think that goes off of the individual horse for Each me, horse. but I'll, I put them all in a bonnet or a tie down. I want them to all know what it is. Yeah. So when you and do that, do you just put them in like a nylon one or a leather one first yeah, like or do I you usually, start with something? Strong? I usually do the nylon one and then the tie downs is just usually basically like a rope tie down or something. And I'll okay. put them in a round pin or something and chase them around a little bit and cut them back. Just let them hit it and get used to it. And yeah. like, I want them to actually, like some people will wear it and I look at it and I'm like, why you even got it on? Yeah. Like it's 
I think that's me. You know, You're probably talking about I, me. <laughs> I, mean, I want the horse actually to, to be having a purpose there, you know. Yeah. And that's where I think I can snug them. And then, I like, Brandon Collins always asked me, you know, how can you ride in a tie down? You know, I don't know. That's just the way I do it. And, and I, I can ride free-headed too, but very seldomly, you know, like yeah. I, I do it. You know, it's just like it's comfort, you know, mm-hmm. how you want a horse to feel or something, you know, Yeah. for me. Yeah, I kind of agree with Cody. I generally start all that at a tie down, let them get used to it, learn to respect it a little bit. Then now I may be one of them, like he said, why they even got that on there? If I feel like a horse doesn't really need it, I may have it on there and lose, where he's only going to get it if he really tries to stick his head yeah. there and go somewhere he shouldn't. You know? yeah. Like you watch, sit there and watch horses that run free headed, you'll see them getting a little tight, step off that barrel with a nose in the air. And I think, well, you know, yeah. if that horse has broken that tie down, even if it was long, you know, they might have stepped out there that far. Yeah, yeah. yeah, at least it would have hit him yeah. and he would have come. You keep control of the pole of that head or yeah. that horse's head, and, you know, yeah. sometimes you can keep them from getting away from you. Yeah, like I have one. I've been kind of running him in it, and I decided not to here yesterday, and he kind of did. I think he looked for it. I was like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I'm going to use it on him tomorrow in the second round. But, like, he got to a spot on the back side of the first barrel where he'll normally come through pretty good, and he kind of, like – Stepped on stepped out of it pretty bad, and I was like, in, you know, oh. what I call it, I want him to stay in that." Yeah, and I think I think he was kind of looking, and I think he'd have come through if he'd hit it. And I like, I feel like I use my legs as much now as as I do as I did, didn't do in the past when I first started. Like my legs are a lot to do with preparing one, and I try to keep them in the turn mm-hmm. with my spur or with my outside rein or whatever. Like I want a balance there. I don't want them to be out here. I don't want them to be in. But I want them to be perfect, right, Chad? Yeah, and, I, yeah. and, and like, I don't want to be scared. If I'm tight on a barrel, it don't bother me. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like that's where I want to be. Yeah. That's you got to have perfection almost, you know, to win. And that's what I want to strive for with that horse. Is I keep training it to be as perfect as it can be. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. That's what I think. Sometimes I get a little tight when I get too tight. Like when one gets too tight on one side of the barrel and I get a little tense and then that causes them to step off or if you just stay relaxed right there, yeah. they can come through. They, they're athletic enough to do it. Yeah. Especially that. Cool. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people, I see them panic, you know, like, mm-hmm. and instead just let the horse keep going in a straight line, you know, stay right. In the turn. Do not pick him up. Like don't hinder him. Like he's doing his job and you'll see him get a little antsy or excited, uh-oh, uh-oh, you know, and, yeah. and even me in the past, I had a trouble dealing with third barrel. Say we've all been guilty. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say my biggest thing there for a while. I kept having trouble with the third barrel. I was like, "What the heck?" But then uh, Denny Dawson watched my video, uh, and he said, "Cody, watch your hands." And he said, "I'm just going to show you a video. I, you know, watch your hands." And I said, "What do you mean?" And I was literally picking the horse up. Like I'd smoked the first two barrels, and I was chickening out. Yeah. I was like moving the horse over and then the horse would slice and off the, the races yes. would go. I went through a big spell of that like, too. I was like, man, you know, and he was exactly right, you know? Yeah. That's. Yeah, you know, like we talked about it, each horse is on individual. Some horses you put that tie down on them and they just don't like it. Yes. They stiffen up when they feel that pressure or what. And sometimes them's the kind that I'll slide a bonnet on, you know? Okay. Just to, you know, keep control of their head a little bit, you know? And even the bonnet's the same thing. To me, when once they learn to respect it a little bit, you don't have to have it very snug. Just right. you know, it's just enough to keep and them honest. Yeah. So, do you ever, when they get like that, do you ever put like a 
a wire one on or something a little stronger so that when they hit it and they don't brace, they get off of it. Yeah, oh, yeah. It just yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, it depends every individual horse, yeah. you know, like I've had to get more respect out of a chain than I have a wire. I've had a rope one do more for yeah. different, but I, I really like the nylon ones the most, you know, I mean, but um, every now and then I'll, uh, the horse I had that I thought BF Red Bully, I think a chain, a chain bonnet changed his life. Yeah. You know, like made him from like, taking me all over the pea patch is what I'd call it out in the arena. Like, and he would end up ninth or 10th and I'd be like, man, if you just do what you're supposed to do, we'd win. Yeah. And once I got that chain bonnet and fit, you know, I'm stuck it on him one day and made a run. And then it was just lights out after that. You yeah. know, it's like, man, he got in a groove and yeah. you know, it was. And then, you know, I'm just like Cody said, I, I've had some, I ran free headed, you know, we just didn't need anything. Yeah. But. Mm -hmm. yeah I have, my derby horse I ran here, he placed in the first round at the BFA, and then the second two rounds he was kind of bracy, and I think he was hitting his tie down and bracing on it a little. And I've been right, so I, it was a flat leather one. I rode him in a wire one in between here and there, yeah. and then I didn't run him in anything yesterday. I took it off right. of him, and he won fifth in the round. Right. You well, know, I, I think, think it helped him. He wasn't as bracy. really good to school with, you know, and yeah. I think that's the main thing is, is like, using them as a tool you know what i mean yeah. like and help i thought he needed yeah so i'm like right. oh, he needs something to just keep him if he does stick his nose up it, when i'm schooling him yeah. but then i knew i just i felt like he was going to work without right. it yesterday i took it off of him completely and he was way better so it just depends but cool is there anything else you guys can think of that you feel like the world needs to know <sighs> <laughs> I mean, there's well, a lot of things, but. The only as good as what you have to write. That's right. <laughs> yep. yep. That's the biggest thing. I think so many people get so frustrated, and, and I'm like. You have to be able to recognize talent. Yes. Recognize talent and know that it's time up. Mm -hmm. Don't waste no more time yeah. and then move on to the next one because the next one might be the one. Yeah. You know, and that's what I always tell people. Like, do not be. Like, and I'm bad because I'm not attached to them at all, you know, like, even though, now I like the ones that really win and I'll remember those ones, you know, you yeah. can, people call me, I don't even remember that horse, you know, like, yeah. but, um, I think that's just like, Brett, you need to judge talent, you know, and, yeah. and, and make that decision quicker. Like, that's the thing that I think, um, we go back to when we start them and this and that, but like, I think you got to make that call sometimes and it might be the wrong one, but, oh, yeah, you I, guess every now and then. Yeah, but I think for the majority, you'll, you'll make the right call. Yeah. On that, this is going to be the horse that's going to get us there. We'll keep working with it. If not, it needs to go. I want to get another one because, and it, that's not saying that horse is not going to do nothing in his career. It's just not going to be the one to take the maturity. Yeah. Horse. The yeah. Maturity I can't all make high maturity. level horse. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to do this. I know that it was a little out of your comfort zone, and um, you know, but I just I feel like you guys just have a lot of great insight, and we just really appreciate you sharing it with us thank you yes thank you both i do appreciate it and uh it was nice i could just be a fly on the wall i didn't even have to say anything <laughs> sorry no, kayla <laughs> just gotta enjoy it and listen i love it i love it awesome well thank you all for your time and good luck the rest of this week thank thanks you. bye guys see ya We can't say thank you enough to our listeners and guests. In a matter of months, we've gone from 20 listeners to thousands of people wanting to hear the stories of our local legends and Hall of Famers. 
We are so excited to see where this adventure will take us as a community. A special thanks this week to Ashley Schaefer for helping us set up this interview. Keep sending us requests, comments, and feedback, and we'll keep listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and drop us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We will see you next time on The Money Barrel.